Presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Boy, this makes you think of another time of year, huh? Springtime, green grass. The grass is kind of brown, but feels like spring out there right now. It does. we 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 should play some baseball right now. We should. Yes. 72 degrees today. Perfect. Beautiful. Ah, makes me think. Wish the baseball season would go until December. Afternoon drive with Goodman and Mason. That voice you hear is Justin Adams filling in for Eric Goodman. I'm Andrew Mason. Uh, I want to tell you about Impact Real Estate. Finding the right location for your business is a big decision. That's why you need to work with Heather Taylor and her team over at Impact Commercial Real Estate. Their nine-person team has over 50 years of experience. They're hands-on and think out of the box through creative, thoughtful, and dynamic real estate services, and this is why their brokers are ranked in the top 10 in the Denver Denver metro area. So if it's buying, selling, or leasing, their experience with large developers and small business owners will make an impact for you. So go with the best and work with Impact Commercial Real Estate. You can find them at impactcommercial.co. That's impactcommercial.co. Time now for the buzz. The Buzz is presented by Mighty Plumbing and Heating. Why does Mighty Plumbing and Heating have nearly 155 star reviews? No one has better service and they will meet or beat any written offer. Go to MightyPH.com. Let's go out to the hotline and we're going to check in with Hall of Fame writer, a man who has probably forgotten more baseball than anybody in this building knows. Tracy Ring will be checking in. Tracy, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. I guess the big question is how are Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association doing right now with that deadline looming tonight? I don't think they're doing very well, particularly when they want to make it an issue out of the deadline this early. That's never happened that I remember, and I've been around since 76, so I missed the first couple of uh, the first couple of skirmishes, but I've been there for the bad wars. Um, you know, it's... it's um, everybody's like trying to show their power. And I think what's happened is in the last two negotiations, the owners haven't been smart enough. Their, their guy has popped off about how bad he beat the players association in the negotiations. Well, that's not how you win friends and influence enemies. You know, you, you win a negotiation and then you're, you don't say much about it because you don't want to rub it in and, and you want to have a relationship, but um, that doesn't really seem to matter to Rob Manford. He's more worried about trying to make himself important. And so what you've got now is that the Players Association, Don Fair, um, sent his negotiator from the ho- hockey down mm-hmm. to uh, handle the negotiations for the players, which, which is smart because before they had three guys in charge of the Players Association who couldn't even negotiate their own contracts when they were players and they were trying to they were try- trying to go up and and figure out how to get things done. So I'm afraid that I'm a pessimist on this thing. I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a while. Tracy, I'm a little confused because why would you have free agency open up and guys signing these big deals like Max Scherzer, right, $43 million a year. Why would you have free agency right now if you're potentially going to have a lockout within the next couple of days? It makes no sense to me. Well, the only reason is that's, that's what the rule is when, the, when free agency starts. I mean, you'd have, to, you'd have to change the basic agreement that they're operating under. Um, and the other thing of it is, is you know, they're not going to get paid if there's a lockout or a strike. So 
it's, it's not like teams are risking money that that they can't recover. I mean, if if they wind up if they wind up starting the season late and they cut the number of games down, well, they'll take a percentage of the salaries away from the players too, because um, you know they're not liable at that point. So um, you know, I don't know why with with the state of the game. You know, they, they were all excited that this year's attendance was up, our TV viewing was up like 15% over last year. Well, it's still the second lowest in the history of the game. And if you want to compare things to last year with what was going on, if you want to compare that to when times are supposedly good and better, then you're really wasting everybody's time. How long has this uh, kind of this, this animus been building? Because, of course, in 2020, as the sides were trying to figure out a se- a shortened season in the middle of the pandemic. It ended up kind of going back and forth, back, back and forth until finally, you know, kind of MLB said, all right, we're going to play the 60 game season and uh, there's not, and, and it's going to just end late October, early, early November. And that's it. We're not going to extend it out beyond that. Well, and that, you know, the players really had, they had nothing they could say about it, but it, it just added to the, uh, yeah, and I think they had a hard time getting the players to agree to things because they were they were basically tired of uh, not being uh, maybe treated how they felt they should be treated by the by the ownership. And you know, I, I think it's it's what happens when you get a guy in to be the commissioner who um, his whole goal is to figure out what what fancy things he can do so he can eventually be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Even though when he wasn't commissioner, he used to spend his whole trip in going to Cooperstown for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, complaining about being stuck in a little tiny town for three days over the, over the summer when he could have been home enjoying himself. So, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, the other thing that I think is, is a potential problem, and this is just because there's not an awareness of it, there's five owners in baseball that have ever been through a work stoppage. Mm-hmm. They got 25 owners, and you know a lot of them are very wealthy men that that dominate their their industry, right? Right. You got 25 owners; they don't know what the work stoppage is like, you know. And who knows where we were would be today if it hadn't if it hadn't been for the fact that the players in Bud Selig and the Players Association got together in the you know and said in uh, in '95, it's like you know what we just got to get something done. We can't we can't carry this on any farther into the. Tw- to the uh, 95 season we've already ruined the 94 season and you know the difference between bud and a lot of them were there were a lot of things i didn't agree with bud on and, and what i enjoyed about him is you could you could get into loud arguments with him and then 15 minutes later you'd go have a cup of coffee with him or a beer with him you know he he had that type of personality but you know i, I think the one thing that you had with bud is you had a guy that truly had a passion for the game. I mean, this yeah. is a guy that was a car, had a car dealership and went out and found people to help him fund bringing a team back to Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, he, he was, he was always standing right outside the press box on this little platform, watching the games in, in Milwaukee at, at County stadium. I mean, he truly did love the game of baseball. I don't know that the current, um, commissioner really cares. Mm. Wow. Uh, Tracy, if we do have a lockout, and you're just saying you don't know if the commissioner really cares, but if we do have a lockout and it looks like we're going in that direction in Major League Baseball, how long do you foresee this lasting? Could it be something where we look at like 1995 where a couple of games are lost? Or are we looking at like 94 where pretty much the rest of the season, including the World Series, was canceled? 
Yeah, and remember, 94, 95, 95, they, they realized what they'd gone through from 94. That was really a joint situation. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it wasn't like they were separate entities. It was, it was just basically the owners finally said, we just got to get something done. This is, this is crazy. And, and that's why I said, I think part of the problem this year is virtually none of the people in ownership were around. And Jerry Reinsdorf, who hates the, the uh, commissioner, is on the outs. And he's the one, you know, he's one of the few guys that's strong enough to, uh, to understand what's happened and, and what's at stake because he's been through it. You know, he's, he's been through it in the NBA and he's been through it in, in MLB. And, uh, but he's a, he's a non, non entity to, um, the commissioner because he was the one that led the charge to try to block him from being, uh, approved, which I think it took five votes before they could get what they needed for him to get the job. Hall of Fame writer Tracy Ringlesby joining us to talk about uh, the pending uh, Major League Baseball MLB Player Association lockout. Of course, we've seen uh, that uh, Dick Monfort is uh, involved with this. Of course, can for those who aren't aware, uh, what is Dick Monfort's uh, role in the negotiations? Well, it sounds like he's kind of representing uh, ownership and trying to meet with the players and be a different voice than, uh, than the commissioner um, because – they, you know, there's not much of a relationship there. So I, I think they're having having uh, Monfort go in and and try to be uh, an emissary to try to keep people from uh, walking out of the sessions. Um, I don't know how easy that's going to be, and I don't and I don't say that on you know as a slam on Dick. It's it's not the easiest chore to go in and try and clean up a mess that the commissioners made over the last two negotiations. But that's that's what he's evidently been in charge with doing. But, you know, I mean, again, he doesn't fully understand what happened in 95 because he wasn't around. Mm -hmm. He wasn't part of the group. He wasn't even a minority owner at that point in time. So, you know, I think that's that's part of of the problem. I mean, you've had 25, 26 years, I guess, 25 Mm -hmm. years of labor peace. And uh, the awareness of the impact that had on the overall state of the game gets lost on people whose egos get uh, blown up that they're going to push somebody around. I'm interested in how damaging the work stoppage would be because you'd look at everything that's going on these. I mean, there's a difference between 95 where people really cared about baseball, but even at that time it took guys hitting the ball literally out of the park, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa to really bring people back in droves to watch baseball again. That took about three years after the strike was over. If oh, yeah. there is a long work stoppage that goes into the season, that let's say goes into June, July, what is that going to happen overall to the game? Because you already talked about how less, how fewer and fewer people are watching the games nowadays. What would that do to just the game in general from a viewership standpoint, from a fan standpoint? How about just for being in a part of the American culture? What would that do if we have a long work stoppage? Well, I think it becomes a secondary sport. I mean, I, I really do. I think... You know, it's already. I don't know. I'm I'm old, so I'm an. I have my own theories on the game, and it's hard for me to watch the game now, much less to have an animosity over a work stoppage. But I mean, guy guy throws five innings. He throws seventy two pitches. He gives up two hits, and and they got to take him out of the game because he can't pitch any longer. I mean, baseball's got to be the only sport, only major sport where the athletes are not as well conditioned today as they were thirty years ago. Because you got guys more, 
more injured too. I mean, it's right. not like all these precautions they're taking are keeping guys healthy. You know, when I first started covering in 76, you could have three players on the injured list. Two could go on a 15 day. One could go on a 21 day, but a pitcher could only go on the 21 day. That was it. But you also had like the Orioles, they went to the world series when the 69, is it 69 that they won? Yeah. 69 against uh, the Mets, right? Yeah. And they, yeah, they won they in had, 70. Yeah. They had a nine-man pitching staff, right? They had yeah. four starters, and if there was an off day, the fourth starter just stayed in the bullpen because the starters pitched every four days. Yeah. And they were pretty good pitchers. I mean, it's not like these guys were washed up and, and worn out, you know. I mean, people, a really close friend of mine, Nolan Ryan, is, you know, everybody says, oh, he's a freak. Well, his first five years in pro ball, he didn't. He was with the Mets, and he didn't have a winning record, and he was a throw-in in a trade to the Angels for Fergosi. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even like the main guy. He was just a throw-in. And he was going to quit that spring. And his wife said, Nolan, you really like this Tom Morgan, and you really think he's helped you. Um, I think we should stay one more year, and if that's not – if it's if you don't feel good after that year, then we'll go back and we'll get the ranch going and get ready to have, raise, raise a family. Mm-hmm. The guy became a pretty good pitcher, and everybody said he was a freak of nature. Well, he wasn't a freak of nature. He was a freak of being focused and having people teach him. You know, and it was, I mean, it was, to cover the Angels with him was amazing because, I mean, you know, we had a, that game in New York is the first time I'd ever been to New York City, right? Yeah. And as a Saturday day game, I thought, well, I'm going to go to Broadway tonight. This will be neat. Yeah, well, in the 12th inning, Nolan's out there still pitching. Um, needless to say, didn't make it to the, uh, to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 227 pitches later, he came out of the game. But he was, but as he said, you know, I got three days to rest after this. I can't worry. About it. <laughs> my next time's a, my next one's a night game, so I really have more than three days because this was a day game. I said, well, it wasn't a day game by the time you got done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! What? That's crazy. <laughs> Tracy Ringlesby, Hall, Hall of Fame writer, with with great stories like that. Real quick before uh, b- before we let you go here, uh, you got me thinking when you're talking about the the seventy Orioles and how they had they and I was looking up they had sixty complete games that year. So there are things like that. We see that the ratings are down at least on a on a nationwide basis. Do you think uh, maybe the MLB owners are kind of a little bit blind to some of the uh, the woes that plague the game right now? Oh, I think so because I think. You know, it, it, it's just like people start, they act like analytics is something new, right? <laughs> Branch, Rickey, Branch Rickey had analytics. Branch mm-hmm. Rickey had a full-time statistician working for him doing analytics. But you know the difference between Branch and the guys today? He didn't want everybody to know what he was doing. Right. Yeah. Right? He thought, I've got something they don't have. I'm not going to tell them. And so Bob Housen, bless his heart, yeah. he was Branch's pro- child protege. And he brought him along. And Housen said... You know, he was talking to me because he used to come to Coors Field after he retired. He was living up in in, uh, in the mountains, right? And we'd sit and talk, and he'd say, you know, Tracy, I uh, I made one really bad mistake. I go, what? He goes, well, you know, I learned from Branch, and I understood the part that once a player turned 32, you never make a major commitment to a player past 32 because they're not going to get any better, but they're going to go downhill. And he said, that's one. He said, I understood that part, but... You know, I, I took Branch's theory on moving players that age, getting younger players. I went to, when I got the GM job in St. Louis, I was there two years. I fired, I traded away a lot of quote fan favorites. I got fired and then they went to the World Series the next two years after I left. So I felt like I at least achieved what I wanted to do. 
And he said, then I went to Cincinnati and I followed Branch's theory and I traded the older guys. I brought younger guys in and we had the big red machine. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. He said, then everything fell apart and it was my fault. I said, what? He goes, because you get so caught up in numbers and you start to think that because you have the statistical approach that you have all the answers, but you forget that you deal with a human element. And when I traded, when I traded Tony Perez to Montreal, Mm -hmm. that whole team fell apart. Mm -hmm. I did not take into consideration what he meant to our locker room. He was the only guy that could make Joe Morgan play against left-handed pitchers. He was a guy that everybody turned to whenever there was trouble. And I screwed up, and I traded him, and the team fell apart. And that was what Branch used to tell me. Don't get too smart. Don't think you. nobody else is, is as smart as you are. Because if you think that you're smarter than everybody else, you're bound to fail. That's some good advice that carries forward to a lot of areas. Tracy Ringlesby, Hall of Fame writer. You can find his work at InsideTheSeams.com. Pleasure having you on. I'll talk with you again soon. Oh, no problem. Can I plug Welcome to 7220? Absolutely. Your coverage of the Wyoming Cowboys. You bet. Okay. <laughs> it's, you're a busy man, so all about <laughs> baseball, InsideTheSeams.com. Well, so my, my wife said you're supposed to be retired. Why are you doing all this? You know, the late Andy Rooney said writers don't retire. No, I started doing this when I was 17. I'm not going to stop now. Amen. That's that's the way to go. Tracy Ringlesby, Hall of Fame writer. Great having you on. Thanks for uh, joining us. Appreciate your time. All right, guys. All right. Coming up on the other side, we're going to do a little Believe It or Not in the NFL. Believe It or Not around the Broncos. Would you believe that there are some numbers that say that Teddy Bear Bridgewater is having a better season than Patrick Mahomes. No. Real? Fake? We'll get into it on the other side here. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason. Just now filling in for Eric Goodman. I'm Andrew Mason, Mile High Sports Radio, MileHighSports.com. And the newsman sang his same song.